Hi, uh, Rosa, you're an alcoholic. Hi, Rosa. My name is Rosa, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Rosa. I'm an alcoholic. It's beautiful to be here on this Sunday morning with you guys. And uh, I was just thinking yesterday when Jennifer was talking and, and she got like 31 years sober. And uh, she was talking about, I think she was talking about, like, religion and all the stuff that she's been, like, up to in the 31 years she's been sober. And uh, I'm at the crystal states now. I got my obsidian skull here, dragon skull. So, but I would get past that, I think. But, but I have it now for strength. But, uh, oh, wow, it's my beautiful friends from Iceland. So many of us, it's not because... You know, we're so much more alcoholics than Norwegians. It's just more acceptable to be an alcoholic. And, like, everybody in Iceland knows what AA is. And everybody, like, every other person has gone to rehab and stuff like that. But uh, because it's free, of course. And uh, I'm going to tell you my story. Uh, so, where to begin? What's a great sobriety date, maybe? Let's start there. It's 16th of September, 2001. And everybody remembers what happened on the 11th, right? I had everything to do with that. Let's make that clear. I was really insane. But I will come back to that. I am the youngest of seven siblings. My father had two, two, two children before he met my mother. And my mother had three children, all with a separate man, before she met my dad. And together they had me and my older brother, so I'm my youngest. So when I was growing up, uh, I always had a broken bone. Always. There was uh, a little bit of fighting. A little bit of, like, we used to live in this, you know, big buildings with big heavy doors. And uh, I was trying to chase my siblings and put my fingers and so I always had a broken something. And I have this picture of me, and I often look at it. I'm, I'm not three years old. Uh, I have, uh, like, my underwear on really hippie. It was 1980. Yeah, it was around 1980, 81, when this picture was taken. And uh, I had recently cut my hair at that time. So it's all just... The picture is beautiful, it's beautiful, it's me. But I can look at that baby today, and I also had a cast on my leg from toes up to my, like, ass. I had a, like, yeah, a big cast on my leg. And uh, I was not taken care of in the sense of my mother and father are not alcoholics. My siblings are not alcoholics. My parents worked a lot. I kind of raised myself. Well, I have a sister uh, in the house. It was me, my brother, and my sister. The other ones were so, like, grown up. They were just moved out of the house when I was a baby. But I wasn't taken care of in the sense of I needed care or I needed teaching. I needed, like, shit, like children do, as I raise my children today. Uh, but it was okay. I was like a happy, wild child. I was really wild. I probably would have gotten many diagnoses 
if I were a child today. I was up and over, all over the place, getting lost, uh, running away from home, making fires in the mountains, and you know, smoking cigarettes in the in the in the later later years. Uh, I was raised in a small sea village in the West Fjords of Iceland. I think now there are like 250 people living there, so it's really small. Uh, but at that time when I was growing up, it was like 500 people, a lot of uh, uh, people coming from both uh, uh, other countries to work in the fish factory. It was like blooming in alcohol. It was blooming in, uh, yeah, work. And everybody just showed up for work, and the weekends always everybody was like drunk. But my parents, as I said, they were not like drinking, or I, I hardly ever saw, uh, saw alcohol, and I hardly ever saw them drinking. But nevertheless, I am an alcoholic, and uh, I started drinking when I was 12, 12 years old. And just to make that clear, that in this little town, I was good at school, I was in sports, I was really open, I loved giving speeches, I loved to be in acting, I was not like many alcoholics describe themselves as, as being really in themselves and not finding themselves. I, well, at least I thought. I was really outgoing, outspoken, and uh, probably often more outspoken than I should have been. <laughs> but but uh, when I started drinking, I just got more outgoing and more outspoken and uh, the first drink I took was at a concert in Reykjavik and uh, yeah from that time I liked the effects that it did to me I liked the uh, <clears throat> yeah I, I don't know because before that time I could talk to talk to boys I was like, hey, you want to, you know, get in the closet or something? But, but uh, it really helped me in a sense of forgetting something I kind of really didn't know was, was, was there. Because as a child, <clears throat> I had been molested and I shut it off. And shut it completely off. Completely off. I didn't, I loved my dad. And uh, my father uh, and mother got a divorce around that time when I was 12, when I started drinking. And my mother moved away, and I wanted to stay in my hometown and live with my dad. And uh, he was sick. He had a lung disease. And uh, so I was kind of in the situation of being his caretaker. Uh, <clears throat> and I remember, and I, and I always take this example of I didn't know that alcohol had like taken the power of me I had given my power to alcohol uh, my dad asked me I had been planning on a camping tour and with my friends and he said to me could you please stay at home because I feel I'm getting sick I need you but as much as I love my dad of course, I'm an alcoholic. I went camping and drank. 
So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm going to try to, because I only have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can talk forever about me, like Jennifer and, and many others have talked about. I love talking about myself. But uh, uh, my older brothers also lived... Uh, at some points in this town, and uh, they were smuggling in, and uh, like, it's called Lanti. It's like, I, I don't know if you have a word for it in Norway, do they? Akrat. Yeah. So, <clears throat> it was kind of clear from <clears throat> early on that I was drinking more than my buddies, my friends, my, especially my, my friends that were girls. <coughs> and uh, my brother uh, was, who was three years older than me he was really big and big I drank like more of alcohol than he did when we were drinking so I have this physical allergy also that I always need more and more and more I cannot just drink one that's not an option because I really want to get on the table, topless, dancing, you know. And uh, it was really, really fun all the time. And my friends loved me because I was really out there. I was the, you know, the party animal. I went into boarding school when I was 16. And uh, like 80% of the kids there smoked hashes. And uh, I had been writing some poetry and stuff. And, and when I started uh, smoking uh, hashes, I just, oh my God, this is wonderful. I'm going to write some more poetry. This is good shit. <laughs> and so I did. And uh, <clears throat> nine months later, I'm in my first rehab. There was a strike for uh, the te a teacher strike in the school, and I started working in this fish factory in, in my old hometown, and, and I went like into another town, tried some mushrooms, some houses, and just always drinking. It was like crazy. Yeah, I was 17. I'm just a fucking baby, you know. And... Uh, <clears throat> And I was renting an apartment with my, my friend, and uh, she was trying to get me to stop. And making these really comments about coming home, and the place was a mess, because I had a party whole weekend. And uh, I, was, I had like many groups of friends. There was this lady in this this town that nobody knew was smoking houses, but she was really like into a big smuggling import, like ring, smuggling houses into Iceland. It was just, nobody knew that she was a part of this. Well, she was arrested, I think two years later or something, but nobody knew that I was smoking houses with her. And then I was smoking houses with these guys, my best buddies. And then I was smoking sometimes houses, trying to get my girlfriends to smoke with me. And, and, um, and always the alcohol was always there because it had to be. And uh, my friend knew, uh, <laughs> and it's so amazing. She's really, she's a, oh, she's a, she's a codependent. Her dad 
who was an alcoholic. He was sober for 30 years, and she found him two years ago. He had collapsed, like uh, relapsed, and uh, he shot his head off. Uh, with uh, uh, he was a farmer, and uh, so if you're not doing this program, that can happen. Sorry, but yes, he was, and, and her sister was also had been sober for one or two years, and. Uh, <clears throat> I asked her at one point, because I had tried to stop, I really tried to stop a couple of times. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to, just going to do it. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to be a good girl. And the longest phase was nine days. It was nine days. So she arranged for me, called her sister, who got me into my first rehab at the age of 17. So I went into this rehab. And 17, like this, you know, just small town village girl coming into <clears throat> where the junkies and the drug dealers and all the big people from Reykjavik and stuff like that. And I really could not see that I was one of them. But, uh, but somehow I realized I was supposed to be there. It was uh, like 10 days in this hospital unit and then 30 days in this country old school unit, the, uh, the rehab. And uh, I didn't realize that I had any faults, like faults. Yeah, I didn't see that I was, I really did think I was excellent. And in all ways, like uh, I fell in love with a man that was a drug dealer <laughs> and he was 12 years older than me and he was missing some teeth and his hair were like getting a little bit thin but I was completely in love with him <laughs> and uh, I made a best friend she was uh, the same age as me she was, uh, had been you know, uh, a junkie for a couple of years and I was like whoa that's, that's serious stuff but I went after this rehab to AA because I was told to. Nothing kind of happened in this rehab, except that you know I, you know, I put the cork in the bottle and that was it. I, there was no like chains inside of me. There was no like nothing. Nothing kind of happened. And I, I was told to go to AA and I went back to my old hometown and I had to go like two towns away to get to, to an AA meeting and. <clears throat> and it was just crap. AA was just crap. We just we had the steps like on a, you know, on some paper on the wall, and you know the traditions were there, but nobody was doing nothing except talking about uh, how much they did fish that day at sea, or their washing machine was broken, or whatever. Their wife was pathetic. And uh, so that's what I did. But I just talked about fun things, like I was just driving everybody to the dance, and I was in this party, but I was sober, right? And I was just, like, still abusing myself with men. Like, I couldn't stop that. But so I was kind of basically, I didn't change at all. Nothing changed, except I didn't drink any longer. And... Uh, it lasted nine months. Then I had moved to Reykjavik. I was going to go to uh, 
Wie de Gordana? Ja? What's that? College? English? I don't know. And uh, <clears throat> I went to live with my mom. And I called this uh, friend of mine that was with me in the rehab, the junkie. And uh, asked if we could go to a meeting together. Because, you know, that's what I was supposed to do, right? In the back of my mind, there was this, maybe I'm not going to that meeting with her. Maybe we will get drunk together. Maybe I will try some new stuff I haven't tried before. But no, 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 I'm going to a meeting, right? But there was this, there was this voice, there was this uh, insanity, right? This insanity that kind of took over or something. Because I remember it being there. But I was going to not drink. And I went to her house. She lived close by to my mom in Reykjavik. And we were just talking, catching up and stuff like that. And uh, the meeting was supposed to start at 9 in the evening. That's how we do it in Iceland. We always, you know, are up late. Uh, but uh, it passed 9. And she was like, oh, fuck, we missed the meeting. What should we do? What should we do? So I relapsed. And I tried some harder stuff. I tried some amphetamines for the first time. And she just called a friend. And <clears throat> it's amazing how I don't really know what kind of took over. You know, I, I always, when I was a child, I always wanted to be an actress. And the actress just came in like, boom, at that time. I just became like, I was still sober. But I was using hard drugs almost every day for almost a year. I was just, yeah, I quit school because the only lesson I was still, you know, going to was history because I love history. But uh, that's not enough. I flunked, you know, <laughs> because I didn't show up for anything else. So I just started working. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> it was a crazy right time. This is like a, I felt like I was, the, you know, the queen of Reykjavik. I went to all these clubs dressed in, I don't know what. It's just like plastic stuff or something, like just showing off my body because I was doing, you know, harder stuff. So I kind of got skinny and long hair. And, and it was just, oh my God, I really did feel like a queen for a long time. And I met the guy from the rehab, and we said, like, ooh, are you still smuggling drugs? <laughs> oh, yeah, let's hook up. So I moved in with him. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> but then he had to go to jail. <laughs> uh, that was kind of bad. Uh, he was in jail for like three months or something. So I just took regular trips to the jail, smuggling drugs into the prison. Never got caught because I'm a really good actress, right? I don't know nothing. And I always played this, you know, no, no, I'm, I'm just from Biltetalur. That's a really small town in the West. I don't know nothing. I don't know these people in this party. I don't know nothing. I, I really did. I'm a good actress. Uh, and uh, then something crazy, crazy happened that changed my life forever. I did LSD. And... Uh, with my friend, the junkie. And I lost it. 
I lost connection. And it was one time. It was one time. I started seeing things. I started hearing things. I started thinking things like I were Jesus and stuff like that. I really got delusional. And of course, my... <clears throat> uh, my employee at that time I was working uh, in a fish factory in Reykjavik and he couldn't have me working there because I just cried like for hours or I laughed for hours I really couldn't do anything I couldn't communicate with people I just read your mind the whole time and this uh, employee of mine he knew my mom, and uh, they used to go to uh, school together, and he called her and said, I'm driving Rosa home. And I was at that time living in the apartment that my boyfriend had, and uh, they, <coughs> my mom, my dad, and my brother, they came and picked me up. And I, I kind of don't really know what's, what was going on. They drove me to the hospital, and I was talking to this doctor and this nurse, because my parents, they thought I was sober. <laughs> and nobody knew. I had been having this play on for almost a year. And so I talked to the doctor and the nurse alone, and I could tell them that I had been using hard drugs, this LSD, and... Uh, they were like, okay, so in the, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, just be here. I didn't even bring a toothbrush because I didn't know, <laughs> I, didn't know I was just going to be there. Like, I, I, just, I, I just showed up 9 o'clock in the morning the day after. It was the 1st of May, 1997. And uh, they took my independency away. They locked me in for 17 days, like I couldn't meet anybody I knew. And uh, why am I crying now? Well, <clears throat> because, of course I'm crying because it's not human, humane to do this. And... Uh, what it did, what it, uh, it uh, made the delusional mind of mine more delusional because uh, I really then thought I was really, really special. And I thought they were growing black tulips from my urine. Like, it was just crazy. I kind of lost it. And, uh, uh, yeah. And I was there for, and my mother, she went like sunkers and talked to some really, really big guy in the, that runs the hospital thing. And she was like, this is not all right, not meeting my daughter for 17 days. And I couldn't smoke cigarettes or nothing. It was crazy. Uh, <clears throat> and finally, they ended up uh, seeing me, and I remember seeing these doctors and this stuff, and I really couldn't communicate at all and at the level of being in the reality. I could communicate about all kinds of other stuff that you were not aware of, but uh, 
Yeah. I ended up being there for total nine months at this hospital unit, uh, the psycho ward. And uh, a lot of shit happens. I can tell you a lot of really, 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 really funny stories, sad stories, all kinds of shit. My friend Valtimar, we met there. And <laughs> we were both Jesus at the time. This is kind of fun. Because uh, we also had Kumi Jesus. He, he was also Jesus. He's pa- he passed away. But, yeah, and... Uh, uh, and they, I, yeah, like I said, they took my independency away. I was constantly running away. You know, I have these stories of because I shaved all my hair off, and uh, the the medication that they give me, I like gained 30 kilos. So it was just crazy, and I couldn't be out in the sun because of the medication. They would burn my skin. I was like really fiery red hat, you know, all shaved up. And, uh, like, having this really hot uh, winter uh, sweater and, uh, like, a coat, winter coat in the middle of the fucking summer running away from the hospital. (laughs) It was was crazy. Uh, But they always got me back. Well, I came back because I was like, oh, I need to sleep. And then I came back, and uh, this kind of went on for these nine months. And uh, then they decided to send me to... Asylum in the country where they have like really just old men been there for 40 years, crazy old men. And there, there was this young lady, like, yeah, it was not good, man. And uh, I, I had my like 19 year old birthday in the, in the hospital unit and 20 year old birthday in the asylum. And uh, <clears throat> The next next years are like covered in all kinds of tries to get sober. They finally let me out. Uh, I had like this card that I, I would never be able to work again, and uh, I would just be crazy. I was just I got the diagnosis paranoid schizophrenic, and uh, so I was paranoid schizophrenic trying to get sober. All the fucking time. And I had like, in total, I had 13 rehabs. But I'm including the times where I was put in like asylum hospitals. So, because that's kind of a rehab thing also. And I I think I tried every rehab center in Iceland in four years, five years. And I don't know how many times I went to an AA meeting trying to get sober. I don't know. That's, you know, hundreds of times. So I'm going to go back to AA, sit down after the meeting, I'm going to get drunk. That was kind of normal. I didn't hear anything. I didn't understand anything. Uh, So back in the year 2001, I knew that I couldn't stop. I just had this crazy feeling inside. I could not stop. I tried so many times 
I got 14 months. That, my, that was my longest time. I got 14 months. And I remember, I remember the time when I started drinking again after these 14 months. I had been in, uh, I just, I thought it was cool just to be in English meetings. So I was going to English meetings on Friday nights in Reykjavik, and they always said, yeah, keep coming back. It works if you work it. But nobody said me what to work or nothing. Okay, keep coming back. It works if you work it. But I didn't know. And I remember when I started drinking after these 14 months that maybe, you know, my hair has grown back. I've, you know, been using some Herbalife stuff, you know, losing some weight. And uh, maybe I can just drink. I can just drink some red wine and stuff like that. So I tried. (laughs) And I just drank for three months, like just heavy drinking. I met this bartender who became like my, not boyfriend, we were just drinking together. But... And then some cute guy came and said, you know, do you use anything other than alcohol? And I was like, what do you got? Okay, then I just use alcohol and, you know, white stuff. Not the cannabis stuff. That's, that's not good for me. And then it was, it's just, I have no, no control. And this, this, this thought, this insanity, I have no control when it comes. No, zero. You know, there are so many times I really, really, really didn't want to drink again. I made promises I was never going to drink again. I remember standing looking at my brother and I said, Nonni, and there were stars. And I said, I promise to the stars I'm never going to drink again. I don't know, maybe it was three days I was drunk again. I have no power. But you know, inside I really want it. I wanted, I tried, so many fucking times, all kinds of versions of it, trying to control it or not control it, or like, fuck it, I'm going to show them, I'm just going to go drink again, they don't want me anymore, or whatever. And um, 2001, I had gone uh, a week to another asylum, shit, and... uh, I kind of ran away. I just said, I don't want to be here anymore, so so went. And uh, I went uh, 10 days in, in like the hospital rehab center in Iceland, and uh, I don't know how many times I went to. And, and there had been this, uh, like, awakening in AA in Iceland. But I hated these guys. They were, like, loud and funny and, you know, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and I hated that. And I had been hearing it when I was going to the English-speaking back in the days. I would have, shh, shh, we're trying to have a meeting here. This is no fun. This is serious stuff. And, uh, and I tried sometime to get a sponsor, and she just wanted to put some tarot cards or something. And another sponsor uh, asked me to, like, get uh, baptized in this Christian shit. So that's kind of, I tried all kinds of stuff. Nothing worked. And in August 2001, I had written down some things, and I still have it. I have a date on it. 
The date is August something, 2001. And it says all the things that I want and I wish. A family, education, kids, travel, all this stuff that regular people have. And I knew I would never have it. Never. Um, but my higher power, he has a way. <laughs> Through men, right? <laughs> because I've always been kind of a sucker for men. Oh my God, that sounded bad. <laughs> but on the 16th of September, I had been uh, drinking a lot that night. And in, I got invited to a party. It was like 4 o'clock in the night. And I was walking with these men to a party where there is this silver-colored Porsche, Porsche car that stops on the road. And they say, hey, you. And I was like, oh, go to them. And they say, oh, sorry, we thought you were someone else, someone else. And I hear this voice. It was not one of the regular voices that I was just <laughs> always hearing. <laughs> that said, ask them to drive you home. I was not going home. You know, I was going to a party with some boys and shit. Because I didn't have any friends at that time, really. Nobody wanted me. My parents didn't want me. Nobody wanted me anymore. So when I got invited to do stuff with people, of course. Still, I was fun and everything. I felt miserable all the fucking time. But I don't know why I listened. But I asked them to drive me home. And these guys were working the 13th step in AA. <laughs> but I didn't sleep with them or nothing. <laughs> But it's funny, funny, or it's, it's heartwarming to look back and just, yeah, it's funny. It's funny that God knows me. And uh, the day after, I was going on a date with one of these guys. Well, I thought. He actually took me to this cafe where his friends, girlfriends from AA, were drinking coffee after an AA meeting. And he just put me with them, and then he walked away to his friends. <laughs> and they started questioning me. Oh, do you have a sponsor? Are you new? Because we had this fire awakening in AA. Arno was there with his AA book, always under his arm, marching on, you know, hitting people in the head. I am so grateful for Arnold. We're still buddies today. He's been a really, really much support to me. And, uh, yeah, shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, wow, 35 minutes, okay. 
Speed up, speed up. Because now we're getting to the, you know, fun stuff, the sobriety and shit. <laughs> the first step, right. They are still here to remind me of the schedule, how we do it in AA. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and uh, I was talking to these ladies, and I'm like, yeah, 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 we need a sponsor, you go to a meeting and stuff. And I was like, oh, I tried it, I tried everything, you know. But for the first time, <clears throat> the day after that, I think it was the day after that, I went to an AA meeting, and I heard for the first time what it is to be an alcoholic. You know, been going to all these rehabs, been going to these meetings, and for the first time, I sit there, and I was like, yeah, I cannot stop drinking. I cannot. I don't have the power. I am powerless. What do we do with that? We seek power. And I remember it was the 19th, so I'd been sober for three days when I went on my knees. And at that time, I was living with my mom, and they had this concert because of the 9-11 thing. There was this concert on the, on the TV, and I remember going on my knees, and I said, God, would you please send a lightning through the roof and kill me now? Or let me live and be sober. That was my first, second, and third step. There and then. I had realized that I did not have power. That my life was fucking a mess and had been for a long time. And I had like two weeks to figure out where I was supposed to stay because my mother was not able to have me. She was moving out of her apartment and I could not live with her anymore. My father was in, had been in a hospital for a long time and he was dying at that time. And uh, I am there on my knees talking to something, some what, some, I don't know, whatever it is. And I could feel something here in my heart. I found my higher power. It came to me that night, that night. And <clears throat> a friend called in the middle of the night, the same night, full of shit, just been, I don't know, taking some crazy pills or stuff, and I started reading from the AA book from him, for him. I was like, hey, shit, man, you know, I'm going to try this AA one more fucking time. And I started reading from the AA book. I don't know why I did that. <coughs> Three days over, I'm trying to help somebody. What the fuck? Yeah. And it was not something I decided. It was something that was just my higher power, right? And uh, things kind of, I, I believe that my higher power just came and said, okay, Rosa, I'm going to take care of you. You have given me your will. I'm going to take care of you. And I did every fucking thing, everything I was supposed to do, except I got in a relationship. <laughs> 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 
when I had been sober for three weeks, and he was sober two weeks, and was in love at first sight, right? No, he was, he was not my type, so it was kind of crazy. But, uh, and like I said, I didn't have a home, like two weeks after I got sober. I was like just going around with AA folks and just trying to be somewhere. My, I remember my sponsor, she said, you can have a one room here, because they were some AA girls renting this apartment. And uh, then they kind of opened the door on me and my ex-husband, like, fucking. And they were like, oh, you have to go, Rosa. That's not good. Whatever. <clears throat> but Norwegians are so tough. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, I didn't have a home. My father was dying. I got pregnant. I lost a baby. And this is all in my first three months. My father died, and I lost a baby, and I didn't have a home. But I was still sober, because I was going to every meeting. I was reading the AA book with my sponsor. I started working these steps, making the fourth step and the fifth step, and started making my amends. I did get time to make an amends on my dad before he died, and I hold his hand when he died. And the thing is that I didn't know at that time that my father really sexually abused me when I was a child. It didn't come to me until I had been sober for 10 years that uh, my sister came to me and said, I have to talk to you. And when she said it, I was just immediately almost uh, put into, <clears throat> because they had uh, thought I was getting a stroke, because I got paralyzed on the, on the face and, and here. And, uh, but the thing is, the memories were coming that I had just closed all the way. I didn't remember anything. And uh, so it was, it was maybe good that I didn't know at that time or whatever, I don't know don't know but I did hold his hand when he died and uh, I was there for my whole family and this is kind of I wasn't I hadn't been able to do anything for many years before I started doing the program so for my family for my mother for my siblings to see me at that point it was crazy. I had made my amends, and they were seeing something. They didn't trust me completely, but uh, <clears throat> I'm going to try to pack things up. But uh, yeah, then I just. I don't know. I don't know how to pack these years into something that happened. Like, I was sponsoring, like, tons of women through the program. Uh, our, me and my ex-husband, we were actually together for 16 years, and we had three babies. Babies, they're young people today. <laughs> but, uh, but that was kind of what I was just... I just... And I had this disability, like, forever because I was still insane. And yeah, I had, I had mentioned because when I got sober, I was really, really medicated 
on like medication stuff to trying to keep me normal. So I wouldn't hear the voices or see the visions or have the delusions that I had. And I had them for a couple of years still being sober. But I was doing AA. I was... I... I was just full of power. And I had all the time in the world to give away what you gave me. And that just became my life. Just sponsoring women, going to all the meetings. I just, and people were just, are you never quitting having babies? You're just always having babies on your breast on the meetings. Like, and, uh, but that was just, I had so much time to give and I, I I am still passionate about giving this program away. That's what I do. That's my job. If I stop doing it, I will drink again. I have seen it so many fucking times that people get drunk again when they stop. Or they hang themselves or shoot themselves because they cannot live. And uh, I don't want to go there because this is fairly easy to do. It is. There is nothing much to it. I just have to do it. To go on my knees in the morning and do my meditation. And like I said, I'm on the crystal thing, so I'm really meditating a lot now. And, uh, but, uh, and carrying the message. And I have really good friends in AA that I can always call and they tell me the truth. I am so... Yeah, one of the things that I didn't see, you know, from the first, the, the first months, I couldn't see that I was selfish or self-centered. I didn't really understand these terms or... You know, I didn't really understand it. I really thought that I was a good girl. But, you know, 21 years later, I always say yes to my mom. Because I owe her, still. Fuck what I did to her. You know, all the sleepless nights, all the shit that I did, worrying and stuff like that, and my siblings. I always say yes, I'm here. I'm almost, almost a grandmother to my sister's grandkids because I, I just want to, you know, I just want to pay, give back. And <clears throat> uh, four or five years ago, uh, I had a really, <coughs> really rough time in my sobriety. And I've done a lot of stuff. I have educated myself. I worked as a, as a police officer. I've done some shit, man. <laughs> it's just... Uh, yeah, five years ago, uh, some shit happened between me and my, my husband. It was a really, really difficult time. And I had this program. I'd done it... I, I, I like did it so much. I've never done it as much as I did then. And uh, I think it was Jennifer yesterday that was talking about just being on her knees, like, 
And that was just four hours I was just on my knees, just asking for help. And then I was also calling Arnor a lot. <laughs> because he also has this man. He's a, he's a man. I'm not a man. I'm not, I don't understand man. Like, like men don't understand women, right? But, uh, and trying, and, and, and it's, it's difficult for me to talk about it still, just in front of a crowd, but I was facing my biggest fears. I was told that I was getting insane, and I was starting to believe that. Am I maybe insane? I didn't, I didn't eat, I didn't sleep. And I was sober, I was doing everything that I possibly could in this program. I got, uh, uh, you know, therapy and stuff like that, and it ended up like, okay, I have to go to the hospital. Well, I was told I have to go to the hospital because I was going crazy again. And, uh, and I met this really, really nice doctor who looked at me and listened to me, and, and he said, I really don't think you're crazy. I think somebody's just telling you you're crazy. And, uh, <clears throat> but you need to eat. And you need to sleep. So he helped me in that. And, and I was at that time working as a police officer. And, and it was just an amazing thing just to talk to my boss. And, and it's so funny that I this wreck I was suddenly being a police officer. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy. And my boss, my two bosses, they, they just loved me because of that. And, uh, and getting some just time off and all I knew to do was to do this program. And never did I doubt it, it would work. It has never, ever failed me. Never. The only thing I have to do is do it. I've done many four steps, fifth steps, nine steps. I've done crazy shit. I know I'm not perfect, but I try and I do this program every day. And I moved, and and life is such a fucking amazing adventure if you just trust your higher power. And I tried to uh, stay grounded and talk to my AA friends if I get a crazy idea or something. And and when it came to moving here to Norway, and again, it was a guy, right? (laughs) Soulmate. That I kind of figure out that was not my soulmate, but still I'm here. <laughs> but I never doubt this program. I never doubt that my higher power is giving me assignments or stuff that I cannot handle. And often I'm like, really? Fuck, are we not done? Is this not enough? You know, always get the ugly packages. I always get the fucking shit. But inside the package, even if it's ugly on the outside, a couple of months later you open it and you see what it really is. 
and you see what it's supposed to like mean and you kind of get the oh yeah so I can help somebody else that's going to have the ugly packets right (laughs) it's not always what I want but it's always what I need and uh, I'm moving back to Iceland in December and I had a house in Iceland that I just sold like a couple of months ago and uh, I have two kids that live in Iceland uh, 19 and a 17 year old and uh, the 17 year old lives with a friend of mine because their dad is an alcoholic and uh, I don't know if it was it was at least when he was sober 16 years he got drunk again and uh, that has been a really challenging it's been challenging to watch my kids especially the older ones the, the younger one he, he doesn't have the same perspective of his dad uh, but uh, I'm trying to be everything I can and uh, I wish I could do something I wish I could save him but I've been praying for him since we got divorced before we got divorced I've been praying that my higher power makes him happy makes him healthy helps him get sober And uh, I also sometimes say to God, you know, fuck the fucking bastard. (laughs) But help him, please. Because I can't say that. My higher power knows me. And uh, it was just two weeks ago. I was uh, at a noon meeting and uh, in Tunsberg. There were just men there. And I was talking and, and suddenly I just started crying. And I said, I love my ex-husband so much. But I don't love him in the way that I would love a lover. But I love him so deeply. And uh, the only thing I can do is still just pray. And hoping. Or something, you know. you got to have hope. Um... I'm really, at the same, same time, I'm uh, going to miss my Norwegian Icelandic fucking buddies. Not fucking buddies, no, sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, and I miss the, I'm going to miss the opportunity to get to know everybody here better. But uh, if you're ever in Iceland, you just come and visit. My doors are always open, and that's one of the things that I was also taught when I came in here. Because there were people letting me in, inviting me for shit. You know, dinner, cakes, whatever. Listen to speakers all day long. And that's what I did. I opened my door. And if you ever uh, are talking to somebody 
that is crazy or whatever needs help, give them my number. You don't have to ask for permission from me to give my number. This is my job. This is what I do in AA. You can tell everybody out there my story, but don't go to the press with it. <laughs> Understand? I'm here to help people because that helps me. This is my drug. My drug is to help others and carry the message. It gets me kind of high. It gives me God. It fills me up. My, my sponsor Erna, she's been sober one year longer than me. I don't know what, how that happened, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's just been amazing to get the chance to. We've been. Uh, I was uh, started sponsoring her in 2007, six. Yeah, 2004. Yeah, wow. Oh. But uh, and then like. She moved here to Norway like 10 years ago, 12 years ago or something, and uh, we didn't stay in touch. And, and uh, then she called me three years ago on FaceTime. Hey, Rosa, miss you so much. Can you still be my sponsor? And uh, now I just, hey, Erna, I'm moving to you. <laughs> and, uh, and just to see the change in people. Everybody. I love you guys. Tak. Oh.